1998, three American scientists won the Nobel Prize in Medicine for showing that tiny cells in the lining of blood vessels, known as endothelial cells, actually play a vital role in regulating vascular functions. What have we learned since then? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Amir Lerman, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiovascular Diseases and Internal Medicine at Mayo Clinic, Rochester. He is also co-director of the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Research Center and Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory and director of the Coronary Artery Disease and Interventions Research Committee. Dr. Lerman speaks basically all over the world all the time. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lerman. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure for me to be here. So what has happened in the last 10 years in the world of endothelial function and health? Well, the story of endothelial function is a fascinating story, how one molecule that was discovered, as you alluded by the Nobel laureate, actually ended up as a central molecule for that transition to clinical practice. So was that nitrous oxide? Yes. So the discovery of nitric oxide led to the discovery that the endothelial cells that are lining the inner side of the vessel wall are not actually just a wrap, but just actually active organ that can regulate not only flow, but the growth of the smooth muscle cell and vascular tone and participate in the protection of the vascular wall. So when you talk about normal endothelial function, um, in response to the flow, there is a content, continuous release of nitric oxide, which uh, allow smooth uh, blood flow, inhibition of inflammation and oxidative stress, as well as inhibition of smooth muscle cell proliferation and adhesion of a molecule that can lead to a disease. So these essential molecules of the normal endothelial function allow normal health of the vascular wall and the normal blood flow and thus perfusion of end organs. So what got you interested into it? Well, I got interested in that because when I started my research at that time, this was the time of the discovery of nitric oxide and the discovery of endothelin, which is the opposing member of the endothelial-derived peptide to the nitric oxide. So endothelin is one of the most potent vasoconstrictors. And when I started my career, uh, this was the two that were discovered. And then at the same time, there was fascinating initial report that came from uh, Peter Gant's lab that showed that the coin vasoconstrictor, paradoxical vasoconstriction, which uh, came from the administration of acetylcholine. So the, the rapid the translation of this basic science into the coronary circulation and the potential for clinical practice uh, was a fascinating concept at that time. Well, what are the clinical consequences of, of endothelial dysfunction? So, first of all, endothelial dysfunction by itself is the lack of activity of nitric oxide, not necessarily the decrease in the level of nitric oxide, but essentially the uh, decrease of activity of nitric oxide. So if we understand that this is a multipotential molecule that uh, in charge of anti-inflammatory, antioxidative, and flow, normal flow, the minute the activity of this molecule decrease, then all these aspects reverse. That means you have increased inflammation, increased oxidative stress, vasoconstriction, uh, increased platelet aggregation. So all the function that the nitric oxide and nitric oxide activity were doing are reverse. So we can imagine all this uh, series of effects that occur. Now, how does it translate to clinical uh, event? There are two areas. One of them, if we look at the coronal circulation or at the peripheral circulation, there is response to increase flow demand, like with ischemia or with mental stress or with exercise, is mediated through the endothelium and the release of nitric oxide. So when we exercise or we're exposed to mental stress, the increase in coronary blood flow to the myocardium is mediated through the endothelium. 
if you have endothelial dysfunction and we could not respond that, that actually lead to coronary vasoconstriction and thus to potential ischemia. So, for instance, if you have patients that have coronary endothelial dysfunction, they may present with ischemia or chest pain without any significant obstructive coronary disease because it's a more of a functional abnormality is likely than a structural abnormalities. Now, since endothelial dysfunction is, a, endothelium is sort of throughout the body and in every vessel, you can imagine that in every organ you may have um, endothelial dysfunction may lead to clinical event. So, uh, you know, it can lead to stroke if you have it in the cerebral circulation. It can lead to erectile dysfunction. It can lead to renal dysfunction. So every place where endothelium plays a role and is not dysfunction may lead to clinical consequences at this vascular bed. I'm glad you brought up erectile dysfunction because usually that's the first clue or that the first thing that men present with. It's true. And I think that we need to change the way we actually, when we interview the patient and, and ask the patient, we tend not to ask this question for some particular reasons. And I believe that this is one of the main questions that we need to ask uh, our patient because this is one of the major initial signs of uh, atherosclerosis and predictor of a coronary disease and event. And it is have tight association with endothelial function. Is there ever a time where you really just have the disease localized to one vascular bed, or is it always systemic? This is an area of intense investigation, but as far as we know, it's usually associated with the presentation of endothelial dysfunction with other vascular beds. So, for instance, there are several studies that show that coronary endothelial dysfunction is associated with peripheral endothelial dysfunction which on one side, you, you can say that this is a, a bad phenomenon, but on the other side, it gives us a window, an opportunity to look at the coronary through the peripheral. There is a, several studies that show the relationship between, as we indicated, erectile dysfunction and peripheral endothelial dysfunction as well as coronary. And the same thing comes to uh, some assumption about uh, the association between sleep apnea and endothelial dysfunction. So there are not many studies that show all the vascular bed related, but we believe that the minute you have systemic endothelial dysfunction, that you're going to see an effect in multivascular bed. When I was in med school 20 years ago, everybody was receiving nitrates. Now, I don't see any patients on nitrates, but it seems that they should be on nitrates or they should all be on a daily dose of Cialis or Viagra. What do you think? Well, that is an interesting, very interesting point. Uh, uh, it comes in a day that I actually put one of my patients on Cialis. But in a sense, nitroglycerin, uh, one of the issues of nitroglycerin, that in order to nitroglycerin to, to act, it has to be converted to nitric oxide. One of the main obstacles of that, the, this enzyme does not exist in the small in the microcirculation. So in a sense, nitroglycerin has a good effect on the large vessels which have the enzyme, but has no effect on the microcirculation. Now, the majority or the, at least major part of the endothelial dysfunction is in the small vessels. So nitroglycerin will not affect them. Now, Cialis, the group of drug of phosphodiesterase inhibitors, is an emerging concept in endothelial function, and there are several studies that show that it's improved endothelial function. Although it's not indicated to disuse. Not yet. Not yet. So we found out that some of our patients that we are resistant to a lot of drugs do respond favorably to low dose of Cialis. So uh, can we assume that there'll be a new indication for Cialis in the next five years? <laughs> I, I think that we may see that, yeah. How can we, in the trenches, in a general internal medicine office, diagnose endothelial dysfunction? 
So one of the obstacles that was until now to move endothelial function from the concept and the research into the clinical arena was a lack of technology that will let us do that. We at Mayo have a practice since 94, 95 that when we have a patient that comes to us to the cat lab with symptoms of ischemia or chest pain and do not have obstructive disease, we measured their endothelial function in the coronary circulation. But this is a very invasive yes. test that does not fit screening and should not be done on a routine basis. Agreed. But it gave us the opportunity to see a relationship with non-invasive uh, tests. And the reason I mentioned the coronary because it used to serve and still serves as a gold standard and every other test being compared to the coronary. The principles of measurement and endothelial function is the same. And the way you stress test the endothelium is all by giving a chemical that releases nitrocoxides, such as acetylcholine or bradykinin, or you create brief ischemia and what we call the reactive hyperemia or the response after the relief of the ischemia is overshooting the flow is mediated through the endothelium. So the lack of this response is indicative of endothelial dysfunction. So several methods came about in the last several years in the peripheral circulation. One of them actually repeated the same test we do in the coronary and give the acetylcholine into the peripheral circulation. This has good correlation with the coronary test, but it, again, it is still invasive and doesn't fit to clinical practice. Then came the reactive hyperemia that was uh, promoted and discovered by David Salomeyer from Sydney when he was uh, visiting in England with uh, John Dinfield. And they came out with a test that you do create reactive hyperemia and create a brief ischemia for uh, five, 10 minutes in the arm, and then look with ultrasound at the change on the brachial artery and the flow. And the patient that had attenuated response are considered to have endothelial uh, dysfunction. This test did not penetrate the clinical practice because of multiple reasons. One of them is the uh, significant lack of reproducibility in the clinical arena. It was good for research purposes. The need for uh, specialized people to do that, the cost of the equipment, which was the ultrasound, and the lack of publication-related multicenter study of successful of this study, this technique. So this technique was the essential, the basis of the non-invasive test, but did not take off as a clinical test. Mm -hmm. We have a recent device that's based on the same principle of reactive hyperemia, and this is a device that, that is made by uh, Itamar Medical uh, Corporation in, in Israel, which is actually looking at the same principle of reactive hyperemia, but rather than looking at change in brachial reactivity diameter changes, they're looking at blood volume in the finger. And uh, based on the same principles, if you create a brief ischemia in the hand for five minutes, the normal response should be a hyperactive response and the blood volume in the finger after you relieve the ischemia. Lack of this reactive hyperemia or lack of this reactive flow is indicative of endothelial dysfunction. And um, the, the advantage of this device that is actually, first of all, is being validated against the coronary circulation, that study that was done here. It was validated against the peripheral or the, the brachial reactivity. This study was done by Jeff Coven from the New England Medical Center. And it was proved that it's mediated through nitric oxide by giving nitric oxide inhibitor uh, done by Peter Gens and Mark Krieger uh, group in, and Marie Gerhardt in, in Boston. So all these three studies show that this test is essentially uh, looking at nitric oxide activity and correlate with the gold standard test that existed until now. The test is easy to use and it's usable. And also, the one advantage of this test is that is, uh, you, you measure it in both hands. That means that 
the brachial reactivity, the normal one with ultrasound, you do it on one hand. And then you take it into uh, uh, consideration that you don't take into consideration the fact that you ha- there are environmental changes that may affect that. If you use both hands, you do the test on one hand and you have a probe on the other hand, then when you factor it to each other, you eliminate all the environmental factors that can affect endothelial function. And this uh, uh, technology is FDA approved. So this is the only device that we're currently aware of that is approved by the FDA to use to test endothelial function. On that note, thank you for educating us on endothelial function. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Amir Lerman of Mayo Clinic. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. If you'd like to comment or listen to any of our podcasts on ReachMD, please visit our website at ReachMD.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, we will give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to day or night at home or at your office on your computer. And thank you for listening.